Thanks again for that, Jeff. Uh, second time I got to hear it. And every, every time I hear it, it gets better and better. Uh, so true that apart from Christ, uh, apart from having a relationship with Christ, uh, we are, are lost in our, our darkness and in our sin. We're slaves to our sin. But uh, when we come to know Christ, uh, the person of Christ, uh, and God reveals him to us through his spirit, we um, are set free. All of a sudden there is light in our darkness and our sin and guilt and shame is forgiven and we are given new life. We're given Christ's righteousness. And so it's a good um, good thing to, to hear singing. Uh, and when you do come to know Christ, you do exactly what Jeff did. You, you praise and you worship God's name for what he's done for you. You thank him uh, in praise and adoration. And so, yeah. Um, today, so today we continue our um, series through Genesis, the book. Genesis in the Bible is the first book. It literally means origins. And that book tells us our origin story, where, who we are, uh, where we came from, um, what we're to do here, and it tells us why we're in the condition we're in, why there is sin and evil in the world, and then what God is going to do about it. And so, for those of you who are here, you know that we just looked at the fall of man uh, in Genesis 3. Uh, God commanded them not to eat of the fruit, and it was a a period of a testing for them. Would they follow God or would they follow the devil? Would they follow their, uh, uh, follow their, own, their own wants or desires or would they follow God? And we saw that they ate of the fruit. They, they disobeyed God's uh, command. They went against his will and they instantly became shameful and guilty uh, before God's eyes. And so what did they do? They, they hid from God. They did not seek him out. They hid from him. They knew they sinned. But God doesn't leave them and it state it says that God, uh, uh, they hid themselves, and then God came to them in the in the cool of the day. And he, we saw that God then cursed the serpent, the the tempter, the deceiver, and uh, said that that the serpent was going to be cursed, and he would have an eternal fate. That from the line of the woman, in verse fifteen, there would come someone who would crush the serpent's head, would crush the devil, but that 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 a Savior who would come would come through the line of woman and that Savior would suffer because the serpent would bite at his heel. And certainly that is what happened. Jesus came to this earth as fully God and fully man and he, was, he suffered, he was spit at, mocked, persecuted, hated, even though he did nothing wrong. And then he went to the cross and he died a despicable death. But that death on the cross crushed the serpent's head, crushed the devil. And in and through that work of Jesus Christ, uh, there is victory over death. And today, now, after the curse of the serpent for what he did in tempting Adam and Eve, we're going to see in these verses, 16 through 19 of chapter 3, that God now proclaims a, a judgment on women, all women after uh, Adam and Eve sinned up until today, and all women until Christ returns, and so too with men. And so, um, 
Let's read 16 through 19. To the woman, he said, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's uh, go now into prayer bef- uh, to God, and let's ask God to humble our hearts, to soften our hearts, so that we can be taught by him, that we might remove our hard hearts and our proud hearts and subject ourselves to him and his word. Uh, and so let's, let's go to him now. Father in heaven, we come to you through your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we have just read your word, your word that changes lives, your, your word that opens the eyes of, of the blind, Lord, the spiritually blind. We pray that it would be a blessing unto us all, that we would see our, the, the, your judgment on us for our sin, how horribly wicked it is, Lord, and then let's see how we are delivered from it, Lord, in Jesus Christ and through the callings that you have placed on, on all people in this life, Lord. So I pray that the gospel will go forth again today, that those who are Christians would be encouraged and uh, spurred on, and those who do not know Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their sin, they would turn from their sin to Jesus Christ, knowing him as their Savior the one that they trust in apart from anything else, Lord. And then, Lord, I pray that we would join ourselves to a body of believers, separate ourselves from the world, to be edified by your, your, the preaching of your word and to be encouraged by one another. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So the title of today's message is Hope and Judgment. So we're going we're gonna to see that God judges women, all women, and that God judges all men. But we're going to see that in the midst of that judgment, there is hope. That it's not judgment just in and of itself. But that there is a purpose that that judgment plays for those who believe in Jesus Christ. There is a deliverance specifically in Jesus Christ for salvation. But there is also a deliverance, a temporal deliverance now. That even though we have pain and suffering in this life, men, both men and women, that... Uh, as we live godly lives by faith in Jesus Christ, there is purpose, there is meaning, there is uh, something for us to do. So with that, let's begin. Now, I want to say from the beginning that I'm not, I'm not a woman, all right? But from what I have noticed, women have it hard in this life. Generally speaking, women, a biological female, have the pain of menstrual cycles, childbirth, the sorrows of raising sinful and disobedient children and being led by sinful men. Again, I'm not a woman, so I, I do not stand before you all today saying that I, I know what it is like. I do not know what this is like, but I'm able to, to empathize. I, I've watched my mother raise five stubborn and rebellious children. I've noticed the pain that all women go through as they, they hit their teenage years or hit puberty. I've, no, I've been told of the searing pain in going through labor. 
I've watched tyrannical and domineering men uh, burden their wives. And most importantly, I am a man myself. I put my own mother through much uh, trials. I put her through much worry, anxiety, uh, fear, and, and, and a lot of tears, believe it or not, as a rebellious child. Since the fall, women have had the short end of the stick, to say the least. They have had it the hardest out of anyone in human history. They've been abused. They've been taken advantage of in every possible way. They have the pain of childbirth, the sorrow of raising sinful children and having to be led by sinful men in marriage. But I want us to notice that this is not the way it was intended to be or supposed to be from the beginning. Prior to the fall, women were helpers of men. God created Eve as a suitable helper for Adam. They were spiritually equal before the eyes of God, yes, but yet there was a role of which a woman is to find her place. But the judgment uh, from God, as we'll see from this text, was not only on women, but to men also. Although Eve was the one who sinned first, she then gave the fruit to Adam. And he too sinned in that he was not there to put an end to the charade. He sinned in that he did not lead Eve as he should have. He sinned uh, by eating of the fruit and as the representative of all humanity. Thus, God judges all men as well. First, I want us to notice judgment on women. There's judgment on all women because of the sin of Eve. And this judgment is particularly found in the first, the first judgment is found in conceiving, delivering, and raising children. The pain that is found in bearing a child in the womb, it points back to the consequences of Eve's sin. The pain of delivering a baby from the womb points to the judgment from God because of Eve's sin. The sorrow and grief that is part of raising children is the judgment of God on women because of Eve's sin. Prior to her sin, she she would not have had the pains of childbearing and child rearing. And two, we see the judgment of God towards women in marriage, marriage with sinful men, being married to a sinful man who, who leads her in wicked ways is the judgment of God on all women because of Eve's sin. Prior to her sin, she did not have the wicked subjection to men, namely her husband. She she was not treated wickedly by Adam and wickedly used and abused by other men. She was subjected to him, yes, in her role as, as a wife and as a woman, but in, in freedom and in a gentle way. But now she is cast into subjection unto uh, service, sinful service because of sin. And so Eve, she went out of the boundaries that God established for her when she ate the fruit. She is now forced to this position. But this position, as we have noted, is now corrupted. It's, it's corrupted because of sin and evil that have entered into the world. You then, you, you then come to see, as we noted, the judgment on God in these two particular ways because of Eve's sin. Conceiving, delivering, and raising children, and being married to sinful men. But the question then is to be asked, what, what are women to do today? How are they to be delivered from this judgment? As I mentioned earlier, deliverance 
uh, and salvation is Jesus Christ, sure. But is there a way out of this? Is there a way to find meaning in the suffering that women go through? Well, if, you, if you're the world, there really, there really isn't. There, all life is vanity. All the work that you do and the pain and suffering that you go through is meaningless because today you're here and tomorrow you're not. You're dead. And if you're an atheist, you just believe life ceases to exist. All consciousness ceases to exist. But from a biblical point of view, there is, um, there is deliverance. There is meaning uh, in, in, this, in this temporal life, even though there is suffering and pain. The women are to be delivered from these judgments on earth by the way that they act. In 1 Timothy 2, you see... Uh, Two particular ways that a woman can be delivered from uh, this in this life. She, first of all, is to lovingly submit to her husband. And second of all, she is to raise her children in holiness, faith, and sobriety. To sum it up, because that's, that's a generalization. I understand that not all women will be married and not all women will have children. So it's general. But to sum it all up, if a woman wants to be delivered from the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve, then she is to live a godly life. And that, that can look uh, different for women based off of the circumstances that they're in. If they're married, they, they raise their children. They teach the Bible to their children. They raise them uh, with discipline and love and care and, and, and nurturing. Or if... The woman is single. She, she lives a single life. She is to uh, live, live, lead a godly life in that singleness. It's a chaste life. A life of service to, to people. Or, or whatever you can think of within the bounds of God's word. Thus we see that the judgment upon all women, again, is not an end in and of itself. It's not just judgment for judgment's sake. No, it serves a greater purpose. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, But as for you, Joseph is saying this to his brothers who sold him into slavery. He's saying, But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. And so, for those who are believers, even the, the evil that you face, the wickedness that you uh, have faced from other people towards you, serves a greater purpose. People will wrong you. Your husband will mistreat you. Your children will rebel against you. But God, you see, uses that to shape you, to mold you like clay, like a potter with clay to make you look more like Jesus Christ. And so then as a woman, when you're faced with all torments and evil from other people or from the world, you can know by faith that God is using even that evil for your good. Secondly, I want us to consider judgment on all men. But before I get to that, I, I want to say again, generally speaking, the woman's place is, is the home. Generally speaking. It is the place of childbearing and child rearing. Lest you think I'm a bigot or a misogynist, let me tell you that I view the job of childbearing and raising children as the single most important job in the whole entire world. Why? Because I see how important it is. The children you raise, they affect and really determine the society. You raise good children and God-fearing children, 
to the best of your ability, and society will be bettered. But you raise wicked and, and disobedient children, maybe because you didn't discipline them, society will be all the worse. Secondly, I think it's the most important job because I watched my mother raise me. I, I didn't treat her very well in my teenage years. I took her for granted. I gave her gray hairs, in fact. She can tell you, believe it or not, nights where I st- was stayed out till 3 a.m. in the morning. She was at home wondering where her son is and what he's been up to. But now that I'm here and I've matured a wee bit, I, I see now more clearly how important she was uh, in my upbringing. The sacrifices that my mother, a woman made, were crucial for, for me to be where I'm at today. Her giving up her, her uh, work, a, a career, giving up her pleasures and her own desires in order to be at home to raise me and my four other siblings was crucial. Thus, I do not say that, that generally the woman's place is in the home in a demeaning way. I say it generally, it is her place, because if she is not there, then the children she brings up might suffer because of it, as they miss out on the nurturing, the discipline, and the love that they need. Not only that, but primarily women will uh, suffer themselves as, they, as she sees, as they see their children rebel and, and stray away from the Lord. Now, if generally, again, the, the home is the place of the woman, then the man's place, as the text tells us, is generally outside of the home, the workplace. Because of Adam's sin and heeding to the words of his wife over that of, of God's word, he is now to work by the sweat of his brow, in the field to support and provide for his family. Adam despised God when he heeded to the words of Eve. He made her God when he listened to her and ate of the fruit. Furthermore, he he succumbed and heeded to the lies of the devil rather than that of God. Because of this, Adam and all men after him face the temporal judgment and punishment of God. Prior to the sin of Adam, the earth was blessed and in a state of perfect blessing. But now, because Adam has sinned, uh, God withdraws his favor from the earth. Because of Adam's sin, all creatures in the whole earth are plunged headlong into corruption and ruin. One instantly thinks of natural disasters, worldwide pandemics, the inability to control wildlife, the wickedness of men, the suppression of God in the minds of those of who deny him, wars and constant strife. Because of Adam's sin, the earth is now cursed and is totally corrupt. Whatever and wherever the human eye looks or whatever it sees on this earth is the atrocity of the sin of Adam. In the second place, uh, through trouble and fatigue and pain, he will eat of it. That is, in contrast to the perfect state of the earth prior to Adam's sin, there is no longer pleasant labor, but there is work, work like that of a slave. Think of a worker in a mine, a 
a coal mine, for instance. Sweating, exhausted, a sore body, painful injuries that come from that type of work. Like unto that of a mine worker is the work of men on earth because of the sin of Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. God had placed Adam in the garden to cultivate it, to work it. But now this work or cultivation is no longer pleasant, bringing only sweet delight, but it now brings with it labor that is full of groaning. And, and, and you men know that. Even women know that, that it is grueling work. When does the work end, we say? Most of us, on Monday, we're already thinking about Friday, what we're going to do on Friday. Or if you're like me, I struggle to get out of bed in the morning because I just want to sit there and sleep. I don't want to always have to get up and go to work. So you see this, you experience this. But it is not only his work, but everything he participates in this life is full of work, toil, effort, and misery. And in the third place, to dust you shall return. Because of Adam's sin, the ultimate punishment is death itself. You see, we, we like to think that death is natural, that, oh, well, so-and-so passed away. No, he died. She died. It's not natural. God did not originally intend for us creatures to die, but to live forever. Death is one of the most unnatural things that can happen, where the soul separates from the body. Death terminates. It is the culmination of the, the miserable life that all men live. It stings. Men live miserable lives of toil and labor until the culmination of that misery is met in death itself. The consequences of sin result in the separation of the body and soul. The unnatural separation. Because of Adam's sin in this world, his place, the workplace, is now totally corrupted and his destiny is sealed in death. His toil is full of misery and the judgment and punishment of God is noticed everywhere he looks. But the same question asked to all women is now asked to men. How shall he be delivered from this temporal suffering? The same answer is given. Live a godly life. Having come to know God, the God of Holy Scriptures, having understood the way unto salvation through Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. Trust in Christ as your Savior apart from anything that you do. And then out of that, knowing that you have been freed from shame and guilt, live a godly life. Wherever you are at, men, that is God's calling to you to do. Work hard. Take care of your family if you have one. Support your children in godly endeavors. Support your church. Help the poor and needy. Wherever you are, there's always the opportunity to, to live a godly life. And this is how men are delivered from their temporal suffering. You see that it adds meaning to his life. Whereas apart from that, there is just utter meaningless. What am I working for? Myself? 
I'm going to die tomorrow. It just seems all vanity. Oh, what am I working for? Just to have a good time? That's fleeting. That satisfies you for a minute. I know what that's like. But it's, it's, it's fleeting. It doesn't satisfy. And so hard work is a gift from God because through it we are able to care for those around us. Deliverance from the misery of this life for men is living a life for the glory of God. Doing that which God commands you to do in his word. And that's the chief end of man. The Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, question and answer one, says what is man's chief end? Humanity's chief end. To glorify God and uh, enjoy him forever. And you see, without this God-fearing purpose in life, the life the life that you live is, is full of miserable work and it's all vanity. Read with me. I'll, I'll read it to you, but just follow along. This is Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. I mean, the prophet says, all is vanity under the sun. All is meaningless under the sun. That's Solomon. And Solomon was a king. He had everything. Wives, money, land, a whole kingdom. Everybody was subject to him. And this is what he says. I would think, man, if I was rich, I would take care of everything. <laughs> but this is what he says. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Wow. Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And so you see that everything under the sun, S-U-N, is meaningless. If you live a life just under the sun, uh, just believing in everything that you can see and not believing in everything you can't see, your life is meaningless. You can't deny that. But if you recognize that you're living life under the Son, S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, your life will have meaning, it will have a purpose, and it will have a, a great destiny waiting for you in heaven, in, in the new heaven and new earth, and primarily as you see Jesus face to face. The ultimate punishment for our sin is death. To dust we shall return. These punishments and judgments for Adam's sin point to how horrible, horrible sin is, don't they? They point to the devastating impact that it has had on our relationship with God and the earth. The, and every man, every man who has ever lived, lives out this painful toil. So in conclusion, why are there these problems? 
Why are we sorrowfully and painfully moving through this life unto death, which is imminent, knocking on our door? My professor said, and maybe I've said it to you, he always would say, and it just stuck with me, he would always say kind of comically, the last time I checked, the death rate was 100%. And I think he said that, like, we don't think about that. I mean, as a young person, I can tend to think I'm gonna, nothing's going to stop me, whatever. But the death rate is 100%. So why are there these problems? Because you and I and all people have a spiritual problem. We have a spiritual problem. We have been judged by God. We're living under his judgment now. I mean, that is why there is sorrow and pain in every aspect of our lives, personally. And that is why you look into the world and you see these, these absurd ideologies, these absurd worldviews that people are now enslaved to and, and following. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Because you see, when you see that going on, abortion, men becoming women, that is God's judgment. On humanity. That is God's judgment. Disease. Coronavirus. That is God's judgment. And these judgments are there to show us how horrible sin is. Sin upended the way things were meant to be. Or sin distorts the way that things were as God created and intended them to be. And I might add, that I'm not just pointing the finger out at the world. I know my own sin. You don't know my sin. But if you got to know me, you would know that my sin is great. My past sins, the things that I was involved in. So I'm not just looking outward, but I'm looking at the, the general hearts of he, all of humanity. Corrupt. Corrupt by nature. Corrupt. And so, is it, is it all meaningless? No. It does not have to be meaningless, as some of us might think. It doesn't have to be a meaningful life where we say, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry because I'm going to die tomorrow. No. The judgment and punishment that God inflicted upon the first man and first woman, each having their own particular judgments, as the texts show, is, is a judgment and a punishment unto all people, all their children. And why is this? This is what one theologian, John Calvin, says. If you don't know him, you should look him up because he's probably the greatest theologian to ever live. But John Calvin says in his commentary on these verses, he says, why do we have these sufferings? In order that we might know that the human race was cursed in their position." They were subjected, though, only to temporal punishment by God. You remember that the devil was cursed. He was not, though, only temporally punished. But the curse upon him is an eternal curse. His fate is already sealed. He's going to uh, live in eternity in hell facing the wrath of God. That, that fate is already determined, has already been accomplished by the one who crushed his head. But unto humanity, the punishment was only temporal. Why? 
Well, if you get one thing out of this message, get this. We are judged or punished temporally, that is in time, so that from God's divine anger we might entertain hope of pardon. Again, we were judged and punished temporally or in time so that from God's divine anger that we see, face, and feel today, we, we might entertain hope of pardon. For the hope of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that although we were dead in Adam, we are dead in Adam by nature, there is a way to a better life. And it is particularly and exclusively in Jesus Christ alone. Through faith, by grace alone, apart from any works, lest anyone should boast. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 22 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all those who believe will be made alive. Adam, from this text, is a direct type of Christ. Adam sinned, and what came? Death and corruption. Christ lived and died, and what came? Eternal life and uh, righteousness for those who believe. The sin and death that we accrue to ourselves in Adam are identical with the way the righteousness and life that Christ acquired accrue to us. You see, in Adam, we all are wicked and corrupt by nature. In Christ, for those who believe, are all righteous in God's eyes. Receivers of everlasting life. Just as the trespass of one was the cause of guilt, the sin and death of all humans, so the obedience of one is the cause of the righteousness, acquittal, and life of all. In Adam, all are condemned and have died. In the one Christ, all who believe are justified and saved. There is hope, you see. It's wonderful hope that though you and I might have sown wickedly in our lives, done evil, evil that we can't get out of our minds and evil that keeps us up at night. There is hope that even though we have sown that in our lives, that we do not reap what we have sown. But what we reap as we believe in Jesus Christ is what He has sown. A perfect life, holiness, forgiveness of sin, new life, and hope for life after death in the new heavens and new earth as one sees Jesus face to face. In Christ, all of that is yours. And all you have to do is receive it. You hear the gospel call to repentance, confession of your sins, turning from it, and then turning to Christ. That is the call that goes out. All of that can be yours if you do that. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, those of you who have not, that you will, that the Holy Spirit will convict your heart of your sin and that you will repent of it and turn to Christ. Listen, the question is is not why people die. The question is not why some people go to hell even. The question is, why does anyone live? The question is, why does anyone go to heaven? We all deserve to go to hell. We all have sinned. 
And it's, so it's not like there are winners and losers, like there are some who are better than others. No. The wonder is the wonder of grace of God that he has even chosen to save some. God is not devoid of mercy, even though we have violently violated his commands and his will every day of our lives. He is still full of mercy. The fact that Adam and Eve did not die right away and did not go straight to hell is because of God's mercy. And the fact that some will be with Jesus in heaven is because of God's mercy and grace as well. Again, is anyone who goes to heaven better than another? No. Nope. Is anyone who goes to hell worse than another? Maybe in degrees of sins, sure, but generally speaking, no. We all have broken the command of God. And so apart from repentance of sin and faith, that is trust, knowledge that Christ is your Savior and your righteousness, you will go there. You, you will you will be utterly separated from God. I mean, a lot of times we think that hell is this burning, fiery furnace. Certainly, maybe it's aspects of it that are like that and where the worm never dies, sure. But basically, it's complete and utter separation from God. And so apart from repentance and faith in Christ, that is your destiny. And I mean a turning from sin, a change of mind, and a turning to Christ Jesus as your Savior. You know, I, when I go do evangelism out on the streets here, and when I take people with me, I try to always remind them of something. And I think it's key because when we do evangelism, it's so often easy to just shove down someone's throat what we believe. But I want to come from a, a posture of compassion and love and mercy because I truly, in my heart, see myself as no better than anybody else. I'm amazed that God revealed himself to me in Christ Jesus and saved me. Why not other people? Well, because of his love. But I want people to have a compassionate posture. So I always tell them, we, when we go do evangelism and as we live every day and witness to Christ, we are all, those who believe, are all beggars. All beggars. Those who are Christians are simply beggars showing other beggars where to get bread. That's what we are. And that bread is Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. That's why he said, do not just work for the, the food that perishes, but work for the food that gives eternal life. He was talking about himself. Apart from turning from sin and turning to Christ, who is fully God and fully man, who died for the sins of the world, who gives all who believe his righteousness and takes on his shoulders their unrighteousness, no one will enter into heaven. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I want to note, finally, just as way of conclusion, get this. There are, there are a lot of false teachers who will say that, yeah, Christ, but you, you, you have to do good works. And it's Christ plus your good works that gets you into heaven. But that is heresy. That's a lie from the devil. And that makes men and women despair. And it, it uh, removes from them the free gift of salvation. And those men and women who teach that uh, will suffer great punishment for that because they are leading people astray. It's heresy to think that we can be good enough for God and for God's heaven. 
we are all corrupt and evil by nature. And our best works, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, are as filthy rags. Menstrual rags is what that, the literal word means. And if you do not have Christ as your Savior, then your filthy rags by which you plead to God in order to get into heaven will only serve you by giving you utter separation from God for all eternity. And I'm not just saying that to you, but I'm saying it to myself. Because naturally, we like to think maybe that we're good enough. But we are not. You see, we need someone in our place. Since you cannot work for salvation because it is impossible, you need someone to do it for you. And Jesus Christ did just that. He earned salvation for many. He died the death on the cross that they should have died that we should have died. He bore the wrath of God that they should have bored, bore. He gives his people a perfect righteousness that they could never live up to. And he took on their unrighteousness as if it was his own. Jesus was able to do all of this because he is fully God and he is fully man. Two natures in one person. You see, Apart from being fully God, he could not have bore the wrath of God on his shoulders. The wrath of the Father. And because he, uh, if he was not fully man, he couldn't have pardoned the sin of anyone in humanity. He had to be fully God and fully man. And that is what he is. And all who are God's children, they will come to Christ by faith. Faith that is personal trust as Christ uh, Personal trust in Christ as your Savior. And that's what this period, the period uh, between Christ's death and resurrection and Christ's return is all about. It's all about God calling his elect, his chosen people out of the world to salvation in Jesus Christ. And when the last person comes to Christ, he will return on the clouds of glory and all knees will bow. The atheist will bow. The Hinduist will bow. The Buddhist will bow. They won't bow because they love Christ, but they will bow because they will then that day recognize that Christ is Lord of all. God will draw all of his sheep, all of his people to Jesus Christ. He, will, he does it through the unalterable power of his Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. John six forty four says, No man can come to me Except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John ten twenty seven through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which had gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What? There is no more beautiful words than that in the whole of Scripture. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the wicked evilness that you face from tyrannical men or the wickedness you face and persecution you face from the world, it can harm you in this life. You might even die. But you can never, if you are in Christ, be plucked from God's hand. You can have the assurance today in Christ Jesus that you are a child of God and that when you die, you will go and see Christ face to face. And that changes how you live your life, ladies and gentlemen. Some people say, well, that will just lead to 
lawlessness. Your sins are forgiven. So yeah, I can just do whatever I want. No, no Christian will ever utter that. True Christians who believe in Christ will say, I give him my life. My life is his. I once was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. And I want to serve him the rest of my life. In every area of my life, my work, my play, my family, my friends, the people walking on the street, the poor, the needy, I want to serve him, live life for his glory. And so that is the call today, that we have suffering and pain as, as men and women in our different roles in life. We have suffering and pain, and women have it, have it harder. And, but there is hope and purpose and meaning in the midst of that for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Hope that God calls you out of the world as part of the, the spiritual church of Christ. And he calls you to live separate from the world. He calls you to live as part of the body of believers who are edified week by week in church, hearing the word preached like even now, and who are encouraged in the fellowship of all believers. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that we read today and for the weak means of, of me explaining it, doing my best to explain it, Lord. I pray that we, we would grow in our understanding of Scripture, Lord, that we would interpret it correctly, that we would see Jesus on every, in every verse, in every page of this, this here your revelation, the Bible. And that we will grow in our love for him, Lord. And that we would see that in the midst of our own personal sufferings, trials, and pain, that there is abundant meaning for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, be the light on our path. And Lord, Help us, help those who, who do not know you to, to repent of their sins, to turn from their sin to Jesus Christ as their Savior, to live every day in repentance and faith, and to be assured, being assured that they are your child and that nothing can pluck them out of your hand and that you see them robed in white. You see them as perfectly holy, forgetting all of their sins, throwing it into the depths of the sea, removing it from your face as far as east is from the west, Lord. God, do this and, and take the people who believe out of the world to no longer live like the world, but to be separate, to be distinct. And may, Lord, they join a, a church, a church with faithful preaching, discipline, and, and the right administration of the sacraments, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now uh, we're going to call out names for the carts one by one. And I just ask that for your good, just wait till we call your name. We had somebody in the Spanish chapel who, I really felt bad for him, but everybody just came out and somebody must have taken his cart instead of theirs. Or maybe somebody even walking by just took it. So he's out of cart, and that thing was brand new, and I know those things are probably not cheap. So for your, your sake, just stay in here in the AC, and then we'll call your name uh, so you can receive your cart.
but I, for, I always want to take time to do this. Are there any questions? Does anybody have any questions about today's sermon? Feel free to ask. And there's no dumb questions. And if you have a question, I'm sure somebody else maybe has the same question. So, but I just want to take time to do that. Any questions? All right. I must have done a, a, a good job explaining it then. <laughs> I'm just If I want to turn it off, how do I do that? Kathy? Kathy? I think that's, I, I think we've distributed everything. I don't think so, no. Tess, Sophia, I won't. Henry, what? Francesca. Henry? And Sophia. Hi. Sophia. It's me. Hi, how are you? Hi. Thank you there. Okay. Tanya? Tanya? Katanya? Katanya? Lena. Chris. Chris A. Cologne. It's over there. What did you just say? Sani Lou. Sani Lou. Delfina. Chris A. Delfina.
Svetlana. Michelle. Mabel, Mabel, Rodney, Rodney. Nancy. Nancy. Is that everybody? Yes?